بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we spoke about the Jewish tribe of Banu Nadir and how they were able to convince other tribes that were hostile towards Islam to form an alliance to attack Medina. And the tribes that joined this alliance, as we mentioned last week, were Banu Nadir, who are the ones who actually formed the tribe or formed the coalition. Banu Nadir, Banu Qaynuqa, the Quraysh, the tribe of Ghatafan, the tribe of Banu Asad, the tribe of Banu Sulaym, the tribe of Banu Murrah, and other tribes as well. So all of these tribes, they came together and they joined a confederation to attack the Muslims in Medina as a unified front. And they agreed to put Abu Sufyan, who was the leader of the Quraysh, they agreed to put Abu Sufyan in charge of the whole confederation. Now this whole confederation, it consisted of 10,000 men. So just try to imagine how huge this force is. This is an army of 10,000 men. So the Muslims, in preparation for the arrival of this confederation, they dug a trench at the northern entrance of Medina to keep the invaders out. The other sides of Medina, the west and the east and the south, they were naturally protected by mountains and lava fields and there were also some very heavy tree orchards that protected the other sides of Medina. But it was the northern border of Medina that was open. So any attack or any invasion it would come from the north. So they dug those trenches in the north to keep the invaders out from that side. There was also a small exposed area in the southeastern corner of Medina. That was also an open area. And there was nothing protecting that area in the southeastern corner. And that is where the tribe, the Jewish tribe of Banu Quraidha resided. That was the section of Medina where Banu Quraidha resided. Now Banu Quraidha, this was the only remaining tribe of the Jews that was left in Medina. Initially there were three tribes of Jews in Medina. Banu Qaynuqa, Banu Nadir, and Banu Quraidha. Banu Qaynuqa were exiled from Medina because of their treachery to the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. They broke a treaty that they had with the Prophet ﷺ, so they were exiled from Al-Madinah. Later on, Banu Nadir, they also betrayed the Prophet ﷺ and they broke the treaty that they had with him, so they were also exiled from Al-Madinah. Now the only tribe that remains from the Jews in Al-Madinah is Banu Quraidha, and they resided in the southeastern portion of the city, which was an exposed area. And because Banu Quraidha had a treaty with the Prophet ﷺ and with the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ confirmed to them that you have a treaty with us, so you have to make sure that you do not allow any invaders to come in from your side. And they agreed. They said to the Prophet ﷺ, yes, we know that we have a treaty with you and we are going to live by the terms of that treaty. So, of course, the Prophet ﷺ had already experienced the treachery of Banu Qaynuqa and the treachery of Banu Nadir. So of course he didn't have 100% confidence that these people would keep their agreement with the Prophet ﷺ. So of course he 
he accepted what they had to say but he made sure that he had his people keeping an eye on them seeing what they were doing so the trench was constructed or dug in the northern portion of Medina at the northern border of the city to keep the invaders out and when it came time for this confederation when they finally arrived at the entrance of Medina they came from the north side exactly as was expected from them and it was a huge force of all of these different tribes together a confederation of 10,000 10, men so when the Muslims they saw this huge confederation coming Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes it in the Quran this was the reaction of the Muslims seeing this army, this confederation of 10,000 men coming in their direction. When they saw this confederation, they said, this is what Allah and his messenger have promised us. And the promise of Allah and his messenger is true. And it did not increase them except in Iman. It made their Iman go up. And it made their submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also go up. So they were ready to face this threat with bravery and courage and valor. So when this confederate army of the Quraysh and Ghatafan and all of these other tribes, when they came thinking that they would come in to Medina, they saw this huge trench in front of them. And they were surprised because this was something that was unknown in Arab warfare. The Arabs, they didn't use this type of strategy in war. This was what the Persians used to use to keep out invaders. And it was the idea, as we mentioned last week, of Salman al-Farisi, who was Persian. So Abu Sufyan and the others from the Confederate army, they saw this huge trench and they were baffled. They had never seen anything like this before, but they realized that it was going to keep them out from Medina. They were not able to go forward and they were not able to invade the city. So they tried whatever they could to bridge that gap. They tried to get over the trench in whatever way they could, but it was so wide, it was so deep that they couldn't do anything. And the Muslims were on the other side of the trench, uh, on the other side of the trench, and they were deterring all of their efforts. Whenever they would see anyone trying to maybe fill up a portion of the trench so that they could go over it or trying to make a bridge to go over the trench, the Muslims were on the other side, supervising everything that's going on. And they would shoot arrows to the other side to deter them. So there was nothing they could do. They were just stuck on the other side of the trench. And they were not given any opportunity or any time to do anything to get over that trench. So this was a very, very effective strategy in keeping the invaders out. And the Muslims were guarding the trench and they were monitor monitoring all of the activity that was going on along the whole length of the trench. And it's a huge, long trench encompassing the whole bo northern border of the city. Of course, it required round-the-clock surveillance, around the clock. It had to be guarded 24 hours, day and night, so that the kuffar would not be able to do anything to entrench it and to get across it. So this trench is huge, as we mentioned. It encompassed, in terms of its length, the whole northern border of Al-Madina. So of course, the Prophet ﷺ had kept a huge number of companions on all portions of the trench to make sure that it is guarded completely. So he had these groups of companions that he would keep at different portions of the trench and he would appoint each group with a leader. 
So Abu Bakr was the leader of one group who was in charge of this certain portion of the trench. And Umar bin Khattab he was the leader of a group which was in charge of another portion of the trench. So there were many of these groups and each of these groups had a leader. And if you go to Medina, uh, you would see a place that is known as Al-Masajid Al-Sab'ah, the seven masajid. And there were some small masajid built in those places uh, many years later in commemoration of those groups of Sahaba that prayed in those places. So like the group of Abu Bakr, they're, gu they're guarding a certain portion of the trench. When the time of Salah came, that group would pray in the Jama'ah. And then another group would pray with their leader. Another group would pray with their leader. So each group, they had their own Salah along that trench. So years later, there were some small masajid built in each of those places. And they are known as Al-Masajid Al-Sab'ah. There is Masjid Al-Fatih. Uh, this is where the Prophet ﷺ, where he was praying at Khandaq. And then there is Masjid Abu Bakr Al-Siddiq. There is Masjid Umar Ibn Al-Khattab. There is Masjid Salman Al-Farisi. There is Masjid uh, Sa'ad Ibn Mu'adh. Right? Masjid Ali Ibn Abi Talib. So there are actually six masajid there. Six small masajid. Uh, that were built in the locations where those groups used to pray their salah along the khandaq, along the line of the trench. There are six masajid, not seven, but it is known as al-masajid al-sab'ah. It is known as the seven masajid because Masjid Qiblatain is also not far away from that, from that area. So they just grouped it all together and they call it the seven masajid. Now, if you go to Medina, uh, they have actually torn down all of those small masajid and they built one big masjid there. So there's one big masjid there that is in the previous location of Al-Masajid Al-Sab'ah and that is where that trench was dug. That is the area where the Khandaq was dug. So they were guarding this trench 24 hours a day making sure that the kuffar on the other side would not get an opportunity to uh, cross it, to penetrate it. So Abu Sufyan who is the leader of the whole confederation now he's thinking to himself this is something new. This is something we've never seen before. How are we going to cross this trench? We're having a very difficult time getting across the trench to get into the city. So what can we do? What is the solution to this? So he thought to himself, he said, okay, there are only two ways we can get into Medina. Either we find a way to get over this trench, which is proving to be impossible. We're not able to do it. And the only other option to get into the city is we have to go on the southeast side of the city and we have to make a deal with Banu Quraidha. We have to negotiate with them and we have to convince them to allow us to come in from their side. That's the only other way to get into al Madina. So Abu Sufyan, he decided we need to make some negotiations with Bani Quraidha and see if they will let us in from their section, from the southeastern side of the city. So Abu Sufyan, he decided to use Banu Nadir to make these negotiations. Now Banu Nadir, they are the ones who formed this whole confederation and this alliance in the first place. They are the ones who approached Abu Sufyan and the Quraysh. And they are the ones who approached the other tribes to form this whole confederation. So Abu Sufyan said, okay, they're the ones who formed this whole thing. It was their idea. So they are the best ones to go to Banu Quraydha and try to convince them to ally with us as well. And also Banu Nadir were Jews and they were from the most respected Jews in the whole Arabian Peninsula. And Banu Quraidha, they were also Jews. So Abu Sufyan thought, okay, this is probably an easier way to negotiate. Their own people who they respect, they will be able to convince them to allow us to infiltrate 
from their side. So Abu Sufyan, he proposed this idea to the leader of Banu Nadir, Huyay ibn Akhtab. So Huyay ibn Akhtab agreed and he said that he will go to Banu Qurayza and he will try to convince them to break their treaty with the Prophet and allow them to come in from the southeastern side of Al Medina. So Huyay ibn Akhtab, he goes to the southeastern side of Medina and he goes to the dwellings of Bani Qurayza and he asks for permission to enter. The leader of Banu Qurayza is a man named Ka'b ibn Asad. And Ka'b, he is afraid to even talk to Huyay ibn Akhtab. At this point, Ka'ab does not want to break his agreement with the Prophet As we mentioned, Banu Qurayza is now the only Jewish tribe left in Al-Madinah. Banu Qurayza saw what happened to Banu Qaynuqa'a. Banu Qurayza saw what happened to Banu Nadir. And Banu Qurayza didn't want the same fate to come to them as well. So Ka'ab ibn Asad, he said to Huyay ibn Akhtab, go away, I don't even want to talk to you. And Huye said, I just want to talk to you. Just let me in. Let me just talk to you. Just want to have a discussion with you. He said, I don't want to hear anything that you have to say. I have an agreement with Muhammad and I'm not interested in breaking my treaty and my agreement with Muhammad. Then Huye keeps trying to convince him. Just let's talk. I just want to talk to you. And Kaab is insisting. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. So then Huye, he tries to think of another strategy just in order to get in so he could speak to Ka'ab. So he says, the only reason why you don't want me to come in is because you don't want me to share your food. You are a bakhil, you're a miser. You think that if I come in, then you will have to share your food with me and you don't want to share your food with me. Now, the matter of honor amongst these, the people who lived in the Arabian Peninsula, this is a very big matter. So he didn't want his reputation to be ruined by Huyay ibn Akhtab going around and telling people that, yeah, Ka'ab ibn Asad didn't even want to share his food with me. So because of this matter of honor and this matter of pride, he said, okay, okay, come in. And he allowed Huyay ibn Akhtab to come in. Then Huyay ibn Akhtab pitches the idea to Ka'ab ibn Asad. And, and Ka'ab says, look, I have an agreement with Muhammad I don't want to break it. Look at what happened to you guys when you broke your agreement with Muhammad. You were exiled away from al Medina. But then Huyay kept insisting. He's saying, look, I have everyone with me. I have the Quraysh with me. I have Ghatafan with me. I have Banu Sulaym with me. I have Banu Asad with me. I have Banu Murra with me. This is our chance to finally get rid of Muhammad and the Muslims. If you're not going to do it now, then you will always be under the control of the Muslims. If you're not going to strike now, then you will never get another chance. So he kept trying to convince him. Finally, Huyay promised Ka'ab. He said, look, even if we are not victorious, I promise that I will stay by your side. I will not abandon you. Even if you get punished, if you're not victorious and Muhammad wants to punish you and your tribe, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. So finally, with all of these promises and all of this incitement, Ka'ab, Ibn Asad agreed to betray the Prophet and allow the Confederate army to use their area and to come in from their area and to assist them in their invasion of al Madinah. Now this treaty that the Prophet had with Banu Qurayza, it was actually a written treaty and they had 
the written form of that treaty with them. So they went to retrieve that treaty. They got the paper, they got the treaty, and they ripped it into pieces to show that their agreement and their treaty with the Prophet was now not in play anymore. They decided to betray that treaty and betray their agreement that they had with the Prophet and the Muslims. Now, as we mentioned, the Prophet never had 100% trust that Banu Quraidah would keep their agreement with him. So he had his people keeping an eye on what they were doing. So some of the companions of the Prophet noticed that Huyay ibn Akhtab, he came to the dwellings of Banu Quraidah and Huyay ibn Akhtab, he went inside and he stayed there for some time. So they knew, okay, there's something happening here. So these, these uh, Sahaba of the Prophet who witnessed this, they came back to the Prophet and they told him what they saw. They told him that we saw Huyay ibn Akhtab enter the dwellings of Banu Quraidah and he stayed with them for some time and we don't know what they were doing, what were they talking about, were they conspiring against the Muslims. So the Prophet said, okay. And he called for Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah who were the heads of the tribes of Aus and Khazraj, the two Arab tribes that inhabited al Madina, who had become Muslim, alhamdulillah. The tribes of Aus and Khazraj were the two tribes of Medina, the two Arab tribes of Medina who had accepted Islam when the Prophet ﷺ made his hijrah. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was the head of Aus and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah was the head of Khazraj. So the Prophet ﷺ sent them, sent these two Sa'ads to Banu Quraidah to confirm, to see what's going on. Is the, is the treaty still in place or have they betrayed that treaty? So he told Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, go to Banu Quraidah and find out what's going on. Find out if they are still going to abide by the terms of our treaty or find out if they have betrayed the treaty. If they are still abiding to the treaty, then you can come back and you can announce it to everyone that yes, Banu Quraidah is still upon the treaty. But if you find out that they have committed treachery, if you find out that they have decided to betray the treaty, then come back and tell me, give me a sign. Don't say it clearly so that everyone will know because then maybe the Muslims will panic. They will think, okay, we're not safe from the southeastern side now. The Prophet ﷺ didn't want the people to panic. They were already so highly outnumbered and the Prophet ﷺ didn't want to add fear and he didn't want them to panic. So he said, okay, he told to Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, if you find out from them that they have betrayed the treaty, then come back and tell me or give me a sign so that I will understand but that the people in general, they won't know. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah obeying this instruction from the Prophet wasallam, they went to Banu Quraidah and they asked them, they said, you have a treaty with us. Do you remember you have a treaty? And the Jews of Banu Quraidah, they said, we have no treaty with you. We have no agreement with you. You are nothing to us. And then they started to insult the Prophet ﷺ and they started to insult Islam. And then Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, he got very angry. When he heard them insulting the Prophet ﷺ, he got very angry and he started to insult them. And then Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, he stopped him. He said, leave it. This matter is bigger than words. This matter is bigger than words. These people have betrayed the Prophet ﷺ. They have betrayed the Muslims in the biggest way possible. 
So this is a matter that is bigger than insults and words. We don't need to do this. But when this whole thing, this whole matter stabilizes, inshallah, we will be back and we will take revenge on these people in the way that they deserve to have revenge taken upon them. There's no need to talk or insult. Rather, we will, we will punish them in a way that they deserve to be punished. Bi'idhnillah. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, upon hearing this, they went back to the Prophet ﷺ. And remember, the Prophet ﷺ said, if you find out that they have decided to betray, don't announce it out loud, but just say something that will give me a sign so I know what's going on. So they came back to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, Ya Rasulullah, Adul walqara. Adul walqara. And the Prophet ﷺ understood what that meant. If you remember a, pre, in, uh, a few weeks ago in one of the previous lessons, we talked about the tribes of Adul and Qara. They had sent a delegation to Medina pretending to be Muslim, that they had accepted Islam. And they asked the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, send some of your companions to teach our tribes about Islam. And then the Prophet ﷺ sent some of his companions to go and teach these people Islam. But when they reached the area, these people from these tribes, they betrayed them and they killed the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. So these were the people from the tribes of Adul and Al-Qara. They betrayed the Prophet ﷺ and they betrayed the Muslims with this evil act of treachery. So when Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah came back from Banu Quraidah, they said to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, Adul wal-Qara. The same thing happened with Banu Quraidah as happened with Adul and Qarra, betrayal. So the Prophet ﷺ, he understood. He understood. But of course, he didn't announce it to the people because he didn't want the people to panic. But eventually, the news came out. Eventually, the news came out that Banu Quraidah has betrayed the treaty that they made with the Prophet ﷺ. And when this news leaked out, the munafiqeen, now they're extra scared. They're already... They see that the Muslims are already outnumbered and now they see that there is another threat from the other side as well. So the munafiqeen, they all kind of snuck away. So now the number that is on the Muslim side is even smaller than it was before. They were already vastly outnumbered and now the number is even less because the munafiqeen, they all snuck away. So Banu Quraidha, they decided that they're already in Medina. And they will, they will attack from inside the city. The Jews of Banu Quraidah, they decided that they will attack from within the city. So they decided that they would attack the fortress that the Prophet ﷺ had set up for the women and children in Medina. The Prophet ﷺ had set up a fortress in the middle of the city where he kept the women and the children so that they would be safe. Even if the kuffar were able to invade and infiltrate the women and the children, they would be safe in this fortress that was set up in the city. So inside this fortress were the women of Medina, the children of Medina, and the old men of Medina as well. The old men who were not able to fight. Amongst those old men who were in that fortress was Hassan ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu the poet of the Prophet ﷺ. He used to make beautiful poetry. He was an elderly man. He was over 60. He was older than the Prophet ﷺ actually. So he was old and he was not able to physically fight. So he and other men who were in the same type of situation who were not able to fight along with women and children, they were kept in that fortress. So Banu Quraidah, they thought, okay, this is the easiest attack. We'll attack the fortress 
where the women and children and old men are there. And that will be the easiest point to start our attack from within the city. But they thought to themselves, we don't know. Did Muhammad keep any type of security around that fortress or not? If he kept security around the fortress, then we're not, we're not going to be able to attack it. But if there's no security, then we can attack it. And we can take those women and those children as our slaves. And, you know, we can kill the men who are there. So they were thinking like this. So they decided to find out, okay, is it secure or is it not secure? Does it have guards around it or does it not have guards? So they decided to send one man as a spy to just look at the situation. So this man, he came, he looked, he came around the fortress and he's looking around. And Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib, the paternal aunt of the Prophet she was inside the fortress. And she saw this Jewish man from Banu Quraidah she saw him suspiciously looking around the fortress. So she knew exactly what this was about. She knew he's a spy. He has come to see, to scope out the area. And then if he sees that there is no security, he will call the rest of his forces and they will come and they will attack us. She knew exactly what was going on. So she said to some of the men who were there, they were elderly men and they were not men who were physically able to fight. But she said to them, look, this guy is there. One of you needs to go out and kill him. And the men, they said, no, I mean, we can't. We don't know how to fight and we're old and we're weak. We can't do it. So Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib, she said, okay. She went and she grabbed a wooden plank herself and she hid in a position. And when that Jewish man crossed paths with her, she hit him on the head very hard with that wooden plank. He fell down to the ground. Then she took out a dagger and she stabbed him to death herself. This is the paternal aunt of the Prophet ﷺ, Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib anha. So she killed him. Then she cut off his head. She beheaded him. And she took his head and she threw it outside the fortress so that the Jews of Banu Quraidah would see and they would get scared and they would say, definitely this fortress, it has security around it. So that was her thinking, her quick thinking. She threw the head out in order to scare them off. So when they saw the head of their companion outside, the Jews of Banu Quraidah, they said, okay, definitely there must be some guards here. There's no way we are going to be able to invade this fortress. So now the Muslims, they are vastly outnumbered. They're still trying to guard the trench to the best of their ability because if they keep their eyes off the trench, even for an instant, the Kuffar might be able to do something to get over it. So they're spread out very thin. They're spread out very thin, guarding this whole trench. And it's very difficult and it's taking up all of their time. They don't even have a moment to rest. They're so busy warding off these threats from the kuffar that they don't even have time to pray their salah on time. They don't even have time to pray salah on time. They're busy, so busy that they can't even take five minutes for salah. So one night during this siege, it was the time of Salatul Isha. And Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu, he tells the Prophet sallallahu he said, Ya Rasulullah, we're so busy in guarding and fighting and doing all of this that I didn't even get a chance to pray Salatul Asr until the sun was almost going to set. I prayed Salatul Asr so late that the sun was going to almost set. That's when I prayed Salatul Asr. And the Prophet sallallahu said to, to Umar bin Khattab, now this is Isha time. He said to Umar bin Khattab, Ya Umar, I haven't prayed Asr yet even until now. We've been kept so busy by these people that we don't even have time to pray Salah. And the Prophet ﷺ called out to the people, who hasn't prayed Salatul Asr yet? It's Isha time. 
And the Prophet ﷺ still hasn't prayed Salatul Asr. And he said, who amongst the companions, who amongst you has not prayed Salatul Asr yet? And a number of companions said, we didn't get a chance to pray, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet ﷺ led them in Salatul Asr and Maghrib and Isha all together. This was the extent of how occupied they were. Even the Prophet ﷺ himself. They didn't even have a moment to take for themselves. Now they were spread so thin and they were doing the best they can to guard this trench. The trench is huge, it's very long. And they're doing their best to guard all the portions of the trench. But they are vastly outnumbered as we mentioned. So eventually a few of the kuffar of the Quraysh, they were able to get across onto the Muslim side of the trench. There were five of the kuffar of the Quraysh who were able to cross the trench. They were Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahl and Hubairah ibn Abi Wahab and Dirar ibn al-Khattab, Nawfal ibn Abdullah and Amr ibn Abdwood. These five men were able to cross the trench. Now Amr ibn Abdwood, he was very, very well known. He was very, very well known as being the best warrior of the Quraysh, the best fighter of the Quraysh. He was known by the Quraysh and he was known by other tribes as well as the best warrior. And it was said that he alone was equal to 1,000 knights. That is how great of a warrior he was. And he was on the side of the mushrikeen of the Quraysh. So everyone knew that this is the best warrior of the whole Quraysh without any question. And no one is even close to him. So Amr ibn Abdwood, he's one of those five who was able to cross to the Muslim side of the trench. And when he crosses to the Muslim side of the trench, he calls out to the Muslims. He says, I want one of you to come and face me for a mubaraza, for a duel, one-on-one -on -one duel. So the Muslims, they don't know who he is because he's all covered in armor. They don't realize who he is. They said, who are you? And then he says, I am Amr ibn Abdwood. And when he said his name, Amr ibn Abdwood, they realized who he was. That he was the best warrior of the Quraysh. So then the Prophet ﷺ said to his companions, okay, who is going to go and fight him? So everyone remained silent. Except one young man. A young man, about 25 or 26 years old. And his name was Ali ibn Abi Talib. He said, Ana ya Rasulullah. Ali radiallahu an, he's very young, he's very brave, and he's a good fighter, but he doesn't have nearly the amount of experience in fighting as Amr ibn Abdwood. Amr ibn Abdwood, his whole life was wars and fighting, and he was very experienced in it. Ali ibn Abi Talib, still a young man, doesn't have so much experience in battle. So when he said, Ana ya Rasulullah, the Prophet said, Ijlis ya Ali, sit down ya Ali. The Prophet ﷺ asks again, who is going to go and fight Amr ibn Abdwood? Again, no one says anything. Ali again, Ana ya Rasulullah, I will do it ya Rasulullah. Ijlis ya Ali, sit down ya Ali. The third time the Prophet ﷺ says, who is going to go and fight him? Nobody says anything. Ali radiallahu anh again says, Ana ya Rasulullah, I'll do it. And then finally the Prophet ﷺ says, Ya Ali, I'm afraid that he will kill you. This is Amr ibn Abdwood. And then Ali with full confidence, he says, Rather, I will kill him, Ya Rasulullah. Insha'Allah, I will kill him. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Okay, Ya Ali, go, fight him. So Ali radiallahu anh, he goes up to 
Amr ibn Abdwood. And Amr ibn Abdwood asks, Who are you? He says, Ana Ali, I am Ali. And then Amr, he says, Oh, Ali ibn Muawiyah. Ali ibn Muawiyah was a very well known fighter, and he was a good warrior. So he thought that it was Ali ibn, ibn Muawiyah. And then Ali said, No, it's Ali ibn Abi Talib. And then when Amr ibn Abdwood heard this, he said, Ali ibn Abi Talib, leave, young boy. Send someone who is at my level to fight with me. And then Ali ibn Abi Talib said to him, I have heard that you are a man. Whenever you are given two choices, you will always take one choice. You will never leave without, say, with, you will never leave without taking one of the options that is presented to you. He said, yes, this is me. He said, okay, so I'm going to give you two choices. And if you are really a man of your word, you are really a man who will always take one of the two choices presented to you, then you have to take one of these choices. So Ali radiallahu anhu is on foot and Amr ibn Abdwud is on a horse. So he says, okay, what do you have? What are your choices? He said, okay, your first choice is to say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. You can become a Muslim. And before even hearing the second choice, Amr said, forget about this choice. I'm not going to take that choice. I will take the second choice, whatever that is. So Ali radiallahu anhu, he says, okay, the second choice is you get off that horse and you fight me. So now he's, he's boiling up Amr ibn Abdul. He said, okay, you think you can challenge me like that? I will get off my horse and I will fight you. He gets off his horse and he kills his horse. He says, forget about the horse. I don't need the horse. He kills his own horse and he starts to go towards Ali ibn Abi Talib and the duel starts one on one. So Amr ibn Abdwood, he takes his sword and he strikes, he tries to strike the head of Ali radiallahu anhu. Ali radiallahu anhu is very fast. He has his shield. He keeps his shield on his head and the sword of Amr hits the shield of Ali and it breaks the shield. Now he doesn't have a shield anymore. It breaks the shield and it goes on to his shoulder and he has armor on his shoulder and it breaks the armor on his shoulder too. So now Ali radiallahu anhu, he has to fight without his shield and with the shoulder armor also broken. But Ali radiallahu anhu, he's young and he's fast. So he is able to outmaneuver Amr going on all sides, this side, that side, in the back, in the front. And he's able to go around like this in such a way and so fast that a lot of dust and sand accumulates around them. So now the observers, the people who are watching from both sides, they're not able to see what's going on. They know that both of them are fighting, but they can't see it because there's dirt all around, like a dust storm all around them because of all of the movement. So they can hear that fighting is going on, but they can't see anything. So the fighting goes on, this one-on-one -on -one battle, it goes on for one full hour. Imagine that, one hour of one-on-one -on -one fighting with swords. Then suddenly the sounds stop. The sounds stop. So the people know, okay, it's over. Someone is dead. But the dust is still all around. All of that dirt is still around. So they can't see. They still can't see. But they know that it's over. So they're just waiting with bated breath. Who's going to come out? Who's going to come out? And then Ali ibn Abi Talib, he emerges from the dust, victorious. And the people are shocked especially those kuffar they are shocked that their greatest warrior is dead so the other four who had who had come across the trench with amr they start to flee they start to run away if amr is dead then they know they have no chance so nawfal ibn abdullah 
he tries to run away, but Az-Zubair ibn al-Awam chases him and he kills him as well. And the other three were able to escape. So Amr ibn Abdwood and Nawfal ibn Abdullah have been killed by the Muslims. So now the kuffar of the Quraysh, they're very scared. They say, okay, we're not going to try to cross the trench anymore. We're not going to try to send any of our men across the trench. All we will do from our side now, we'll try to fill up the trench so that if we're going to cross it, we will cross it in big numbers. We're not going to just send one or two men across the trench anymore. They got scared to do that. And they sent a messenger to the Prophet ﷺ and they said to him, uh, Ya Muhammad, we want the bodies back. The body of Nawfal ibn Abdullah and the body of, of Amr ibn Abdwood. And if you, if you send their bodies back, if you agree to give their bodies back, we will give you 10,000 dirhams in silver. So they really had honor for these people. They wanted the bodies back. And the Prophet ﷺ said, we don't eat the money of the dead people. You can take your bodies. And he dumped their bodies in the trench and he allowed the kuffar to come and take their people without taking any type of money from them. So this was the situation at the trench. And this was the, the valor and the courage and the bravery of Ali ibn Abi Talib so now the pressure is still very high on the Muslims. They're facing the threat from the front. They're facing the threat from Banu Quraidah in the south. So the Prophet ﷺ was ready to make a deal with the tribe of Ghatafan. The tribe of Ghatafan, which was one of the tribes that had allied in this confederation. The Prophet ﷺ spoke with them and he was ready to make a deal with them that if they retreat, if they leave this confederation, that he would give them one-third of the fruits of Medina. He would give them one-third of the fruits of Medina. But before finalizing this deal, he consulted Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. You see the Prophet ﷺ dealing with these two men a lot. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. Because they were the leaders of their tribes. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was the leader of Aus and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah was the leader of Khazraj. So the Prophet ﷺ used to consult them with these things. So he went to them and he said, okay, I'm ready to make a deal with the Ghatafan that we'll give them one third of the fruits of Medina and they will, they will retreat, they will leave. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, the two Sa'ads, they asked the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, is this just your suggestion or your idea or is this an order from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And the Prophet ﷺ said, no, it's just my idea to ease the pressure because we're already so outnumbered, at least this will relieve some of the pressure if they go away, if Ghatafat leaves the alliance. And then the two sides, they said, Ya Rasulullah, don't worry about it. We will fight them. We will fight them if we need to fight them. We don't need to give them anything. So the Prophet ﷺ decided not to make that deal with Ghatafat. So this siege, it went on for days and days. And the Muslims are in a state of fear and they're exhausted, they're tired, they're hungry, they're cold. And they have no time to rest. So one night, the Prophet wasallam he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma munzil al-kitab, sari' al-hisab, Allahumma hzim al-ahzab, Allahumma hzim hum wa zalzil hum. Oh Allah, the one who sent down the book. Oh Allah, the one who is quick in bringing people to account. Destroy this confederation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered this prayer of the Prophet sallallahu through a man named Naeem ibn Mas'ud. Naeem ibn Mas'ud. And if you remember this name, Naeem ibn Mas'ud, 
He was the man that Abu Sufyan sent to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam at Badr at the later Battle of Badr which was after Uhud when Abu Sufyan he made an agreement with the Prophet Sallallahu that they would meet the following year at Badr the Prophet Sallallahu he went there to Badr to meet Abu Sufyan but Abu Sufyan was scared he didn't want to fight with the Prophet Sallallahu so Abu Sufyan he sent Naim ibn Mas'ud to go to the Prophet Sallallahu and to scare him so that he would retreat back to Medina so Naim ibn Mas'ud he went to the Prophet Sallallahu at Badr and he said oh oh Muhammad Abu Sufyan has brought a huge army and he's going to come and he's going to fight you you should go back to Medina but the Prophet Sallallahu said no we're going to stay right here and we will fight him so Abu Sufyan got scared and Abu Sufyan went back to Mecca so this had just happened a few months previous to the Battle of Khandaq now just before the Battle of Khandaq Naim ibn Mas'ud became a Muslim he accepted Islam but his tribe and his people they didn't know that he became Muslim so Naim ibn Mas'ud, he went to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Rasulullah, my people and the people in general, they don't know that I have become a Muslim. So this might be a good chance for you. You can use me in whichever way you see fit. People don't even know I'm a Muslim. So I will be able to talk to them and I will be able to maybe deceive them in a way that will be beneficial to the Muslims. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Al-Harbu Khuda'ah. War is deception. So, you know, deceiving people and lying in war, it is permissible. Treachery is never permissible. So, for example, if you give a person a promise of safety and then you kill that person, that is treachery and that is haram. Even in war, you're not allowed to do that. But as for trickery and lying, this is something that is permissible in war. And Naim ibn Mas'ud was an expert in this. He was an expert in the art of deception during war. And this is an art, if you master it, then you can really, really have a huge effect. So he was an expert in this. So the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, if you're able to do this, if you're able to cause strife between these different tribes and you're able to break their unity and you're able to make them start doubting each other if you're able to break the trust that they have amongst each other then go ahead and do it so Naim ibn Mas'ud he said I will do it Ya Rasulullah so Naim ibn Mas'ud he formulated this genius plan in his mind in order to have the members of this confederation start fighting and doubting each other. So first he went to Banu Qurayza. And he said to Banu Qurayza, he said, you know, the Quraysh is thinking that this invasion is taking too long. It's not what they expected. They expected that they would come from the north and invade Medina and it would be done very quickly because of their huge numbers. They didn't expect this trench and all of the difficulties that are there because of this trench so Quraysh is thinking that they're just going to retreat and go back to Mecca and if Quraysh and the rest of the confederation go back and they leave then you ya Bani Quraytha you are going to be left alone to deal with the punishment from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam for your betrayal and then Banu Quraytha got scared they said okay so what should we do so Naim, pretending that he's their friend and their ally, he said, this is what you should do. You should ask the Quraysh to 
allow you to keep 10 men from amongst them with you. You should have 10 people from the Quraysh with you. So that way, they will not think about retreating because they will never abandon their own people. They will abandon you, no problem. But if, you're, if their own people are with you, even if it's just a few of them, even just 10 men amongst them, if they are with you, the Quraysh will never leave. They'll never go back to Mecca until they have all of their men with them. So demand 10 men from the Quraysh to be with you as an insurance policy that Quraysh will not go back and abandon you. So Banu Quraysh said, yeah, that's a good idea. We should do that. Okay, so once they agreed to this, Naim ibn Mas'ud, quickly he went to the Quraysh. And he said to the Quraysh, he said to Abu Sufyan, he said, you know Banu, Banu Quraysh, you know what they're planning to do? They regret that they broke their treaty with Muhammad. They realize and they feel that it was a mistake. They shouldn't have broke their treaty with Muhammad. So now to get back into the good books of Muhammad, you know what Banu Quraysh are planning to do? They have offered Muhammad 10 heads of the Quraysh. That they will kill 10 members of the Quraysh in order to appease Muhammad. So if they ask you for 10 men, know that this is their plan, that they want to kill those 10 men in order to get back in the good books of Muhammad. So now Quraysh said, oh, is this what they're planning to do? He said, yeah, that's what they're planning to do. So he deceived both sides to turn against each other. So now Abu Sufyan, he wants to confirm this for himself. So he goes to Banu Quraytha himself, Abu Sufyan, and he talks to them. And he talks to Kaab ibn Asad. And he says, look, we're planning to finally make the invasion. We're going to go over the trench and invade Medina on Sunday. So are you with us? We're going to invade from the north on Sunday. You guys come in from the south on Sunday. So we need to time it together so that we invade together. You from the south and we from the north. We're doing it on Sunday. So then Kaab said, okay, we're with you. But we want 10 of your men with us. And their reasoning for saying they want 10 of the men was as an insurance policy. But that's not what Abu Sufyan thinks. Abu Sufyan thinks that they want 10 men so they, they can kill those 10 men and offer that as a peace treaty to the Prophet So when Ka'b ibn Asad says, we want 10 of your men with us to fight with us from the south side, then Abu Sufyan thinks to himself, Naim was actually telling the truth. They want 10 men from us so that they will kill those 10 men. Then they're going to betray us and they are going to re-ally themselves with Muhammad. And Naim ibn Mas'ud, he did this with Banu Quraytha, he did this with Quraysh, and he did the same thing with the other tribes as well. He went to Ghatafan and told them something. He went to the other tribes and told them something. So eventually what happened? Nobody trusts each other anymore. Quraysh doesn't trust Banu Quraytha. Banu Quraytha doesn't trust Quraysh. They don't trust Ghatafan. They don't trust Banu Asad. Banu Murrah doesn't trust Quraysh. So now nobody trusts each other anymore. So they're thinking, okay, what should we do? That same night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a very severely cold wind. And this wind, it toppled over the tents and the cooking pots of the tribes that were on the other side of the trench, the tribes of the kuffar. Now their trust amongst each other is already gone. Their morale is very low. It's cold. They're hungry. This has gone on for so many days. They said, okay, this is it. We can't do this. And Abu Sufyan says to his people, He said, oh Quraysh, let's go back to Mecca. I'm leaving. 
So they got up and they left. And the other tribes, they left as well. Ghatafan goes back to their tribe. Quraysh goes back to Mecca. Everyone goes back. By the morning, they were all gone. And this is how the battle of Khandaq ended. With the retreat of all of the forces of the confederation. They're gone. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Muslims a very decisive victory here. And this was a victory of honor. There were 10,000 men in that confederation, not only from Quraysh, but from other very well-respected tribes of the Arabs. Now the Arabs are seeing, look, Muhammad and his small army defeated all of those tribes, not just Quraysh this time. He defeated Quraysh, he defeated Ghatafan, he defeated Banu Asad, he defeated Banu Murrah, he defeated Banu Sulaim, he defeated all of them. So now the respect and the honor and the fear that the people have for the Muslims, it skyrockets. And now the dishonor that has come to the Quraysh has become very severe. Now nobody respects the Quraysh anymore. Such to the extent that after the battle of Khandaq, that is when some of the leaders of the Quraysh, they started seriously thinking to themselves that our only solution now probably is that we have to accept Islam. They started, the thought started coming in their mind that maybe the only way for us to get our honor back and get our respect back is that we have to become Muslims because it seems that Muhammad and his, his people keep coming up and we keep getting shot down. And because of this defeat, this humiliating defeat of the Quraysh, the Quraysh lost a lot of their business as well. The business that they used to have with Syria and all, they lost a lot of that because of what had happened in the Battle of Khandaq. So this was a great honorable victory for the Muslims. So all of the tribes, they're gone now, but Banu Quraydha, who betrayed the Prophet wasallam, they are still there in al Madina, And now the time has come for the Prophet ﷺ to punish them for their treachery. And remember the words of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh when he first found out about their treachery. When he told Sa'd ibn, ibn Ubadah, no need to insult them. When their time comes, they will see the punishment that they deserve. Remember these words of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. Because when the time came for the Prophet ﷺ to punish Banu Quraydha for their betrayal, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh was given the instructions by the Prophet ﷺ that he was in charge of selecting the punishment for them. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was the one who was given the authority by the Prophet ﷺ to choose what type of punishment should come to Banu Quraydha. And inshallah we will speak about the punishment of Banu Quraydha for their treachery next week. Bi'ithnillah. Wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.